welcome to Speaking Startup, Missouri Business Alert's podcast covering the news and issues important to Missouri entrepreneurs. I'm Destiny Muller. And I'm Emily Hood. On today's episode, we'll hear how black restaurant owners are promoting their food this week during Black Restaurant Week. Afterwards, we'll hear how a St. Louis entrepreneur is using artificial intelligence to help Missourians get water safely to their own homes. As always, we'll also provide the week's digits, headlines, and other startup news you need to know. So what are we waiting for? Let's speak startup. The last week of July is always so bittersweet. Why's that? Well, the sweet part is that for students like us, it's the last week of summer classes. Ah, nice. Yeah, I get that. But the bitter part is that the end of summer classes means we're close to the beginning of fall classes. Yeah, oh gosh, don't remind me. And the start of fall classes means the end of our internship here at MBA. You know, I'm really going to miss this. At least we have another week. True. I'm glad we're not at the end just yet. I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts. Same here. I think that's a great plan. Now, let's get to this week's headlines. St. Louis Archangels has given out over $100 million to 111 startups since its founding in 2005, according to a new annual report. The St. Louis Angel Investing Group funds early-stage startups, largely in the St. Louis area. Last year, the Archangels said they invested almost $9 million in 17 businesses. Some of the startups added to the group's portfolio include Advocado, Amplified Sciences, Autonomous Pivot, and Impetus Agriculture. New data from Venture Forward, a research initiative funded by GoDaddy, shows that micro-businesses, or businesses with fewer than 10 employees, rose by 60% in 2020. Venture Forward believes this increase is a result of stimulus checks, as business formation grew by 60% in the two months following the first round of funding. It said the stimulus funding would have provided extra cash to get over the initial hurdle of funding a small business. This trend was particularly prominent in majority black zip codes, where micro-businesses grew by 125% from 2019 to 2020. We'll hear more from black business owners who have started businesses during the pandemic later in the podcast. The National Geospatial Technology Agency opened its first innovation center in St. Louis's T-Rex Incubator on Friday. Moonshot Labs will host a software factory and digital makerspace with goals to develop new national security technology. The new lab is part of the NGA's almost $2 billion investment in St. Louis as it builds a new Western headquarters. The headquarters is expected to open in late 2023 or early 2024. NGA said that the new innovation center will merge into its new headquarters once construction is complete. If you're a fan of Emmy-nominated TV show Ted Lasso, you might have noticed a hint of Kansas City in recent episodes. The show follows American Ted Lasso, a college football coach at Wichita State University who is unexpectedly recruited to coach an English Premier League soccer team. Shirts from 3KC, a Kansas City-based apparel company, were featured on the show. 3KC owner Brendan Curran is friends with Jason Sudeikis, who plays the lead character in the show. Curran said he was thrilled to see his designs featuring famous Kansas City landmarks in the final cut. So Emily, do you plan to do anything to celebrate Black Restaurant Week? 
Well, even though I've been trying to eat out less and a very key emphasis on trying there, I really support what the restaurants are doing and I would love to. You know, I didn't actually know that Black Restaurant Week was this week until very recently. Don't worry, that's really common for a lot of people. It's only the second annual week, so even many Black restaurant owners themselves hadn't heard about it, especially owners of new restaurants. That's interesting. It makes sense that entrepreneurs would be so caught up in business planning that they wouldn't have heard about it. Exactly. And there are lots of new black restaurant owners who've been focusing with just getting their business off the ground. In fact, a study from the National Bureau of Economic Research found black Americans were more likely than white Americans to take steps towards entrepreneurship during lockdown. Really? Yeah. I spoke with the owners of three black-owned food service businesses, all of which are participating in Black Restaurant Week to learn about their journeys into the industry and how they've chosen to celebrate the Black restaurant community. Black Restaurant Week is a multi-city culinary movement that showcases the flavors of African, African African-American, and Caribbean cuisine nationwide. The week is the second annual celebration for Missouri. It involves collaborative marketing across the state and more than 70 individual restaurants' promotional specials. Rhonda Walker, a mother of five who worked as a registered nurse for 30 years, opened Creole Meat Soul in St. Louis this May. The chic Creole and Cajun eatery has everything from shrimp and sausage nachos to classic gumbo. This is her first year participating in the week's festivities. Uh, Cooking has always been a passion, something I love to do, and I've always wanted to own a restaurant. When Walker faced serious health issues, she reflected on what she really wanted to do with her life. During that time, I decided to go ahead and live out uh, my dream, my second career, which was being a restaurant owner. The story of Mike Evans, the owner of Alibi Cookies, looks very different from Walker's. He's a young guy, 33, and when the COVID-19 pandemic began, he was in the party bus and music industry. Luckily, he had already had a plan B that he had been sitting on. I always had a a vision for a warm cookie vending machine, and uh, during COVID, uh, I was kind of sitting at home um, because I was a DJ, all the bars and restaurants were pretty much closed. So I, you know, just at home, just thinking of ways, of things that I could possibly do to, to generate money, just to kind of just pay bills. So I thought it'd be a great time to launch a warm cookie vending machine. He was able to take the revenue and open his first shop in January, adding cookie cake and ice cream to the menu. He now has two locations and plans to open a third in September. Evans was not alone in having to get creative, just so he could pay the bills over the last year. Kansas City chef Jeffrey Dale says that was the origin of many freshly baked Black-owned businesses. Even though the pandemic happened and the jobs stopped, we all still had bills that needed to be paid. We have to continue to survive, to keep the economy going within our own communities and overall in America. Dale, a.k.a. Chef Jeff, started his business, The Total Chef Experience, in April. He is a personal chef, a caterer, and he teaches international cooking courses. Customers' favorite menu items include the Asian-inspired island bowl and sweet chili bowl. People also love his Neo Trio cake pops. A May report from the National Bureau of Economic Research shows that Black Americans made up a disproportionate amount of the entrepreneurs that started businesses during the pandemic. Dale talked about why he believes that is. He sees a correlation between Black Americans being more likely to be laid off and more likely to start a business during the pandemic. He believes the pandemic provided an opportunity for reflection on ways to dismantle historic inequalities. We had to really 
change up the narrative for our families and the trajectory of where we wanted to be. There is a boost because we in the black community have to start creating a system of generational wealth so that we can pass down these LLCs to our children, our nieces and nephews, or other family members because we have to stand on our own to be able to progress. Dale credits both Black resilience and American resilience as the catalyst for the burst in new businesses. Walker feels that Black Restaurant Week has done a terrific job helping the restaurants in a way that combats the usual challenges. All week, people have come into a restaurant saying they are here because of the promotion. In the long term. The good thing is, is that it brings customers in and once they taste the food, they love it. So you have opportunity for that repeat um, clientele to come back and support. Evans reports the same success via exposure. They definitely have, have came in and you got some people that's just going down the line is what they told me um, of the registered you know, restaurants uh, for the week. And they're just trying everybody or trying the ones they haven't tried before. So. The support has not just been from new customers learning about and wanting to celebrate the week. All the restaurant owners share an excitement about getting to grow their participation in their city's restaurant community. I've met so many other restaurateurs, restaurant owners, business owners for this Black Restaurant Week that I didn't even know about. And I've met some here within my own city just based on being able to network and have social media postings about it. Walker is grateful for increasing the camaraderie between black restaurant owners. So that this exposure has really um, allowed African-Americans and other folks as well to really step out and support and really know who the African-American restaurants are because um, a lot of people don't know that they're African-American. Evans is already looking forward to next year. Not for himself, but for all the people he knows will get to join as the experience grows in Missouri. He's confident that the new Black entrepreneurs will have even more time to join in and make the week's festivities even greater. We need to highlight more Black-owned businesses. It's a shame it's just a week, but I think it's just important to highlight there are great Black-owned businesses out there, and some are struggling, and some just need a little bit more recognition. Uh, they just need a little bit more uh, help in getting their name out there. So that's why I think Black Restaurant Week is, is, is really important. Dale says that opening another restaurant or a catering company or a cookie business may not seem like a big deal to some, but when you put those all together and come to celebrate as a community, it is a beautiful thing. We are all in this together to try to build up and create something that we can leave behind for the future generations to come. Walker feels having a week to honor her accomplishment of opening a restaurant as a black woman will foster a new attitude of growth and possibilities in black children. I'm so happy about it too because it gives other African Americans, especially little girls, a chance to see that a black woman can do amazing things and be a business owner, open up a business. And I do appreciate this opportunity and exposure and also um, having a leadership role and seeing other people look up to me and, and, and say, hey, if she can do this, I can do this.
Destiny, when you woke up to brush your teeth and take a shower this morning, did you think about where that water comes from? I can't say I gave too much thought to it today. What about you? No, you know, it's not really something that crosses my mind that often. I really only think about it when there's some problem with the water, like a boil order. I remember having to buy a bunch of water bottles as a kid when we had a leak near my house. Yeah, those are a pain. I've had a couple of those. Even though we really don't give it much thought, every city has a huge infrastructure with hundreds of miles of pipes dedicated to providing the water we use every day to cook and clean. When things go wrong, major problems can happen, like boil orders, flooding, and even lead poisoning. Yeah, you know, I definitely take for granted the ease of being able to fill up my 40-ounce water bottle almost anywhere in the city. I've never really thought about how complex that underground infrastructure must be. Well, one St. Louis startup is using artificial intelligence in an effort to help small and mid-sized communities prevent issues with that infrastructure before they happen. I spoke with Alondo Taver, the founder of NEAR, to learn more about why managing water infrastructure can help reduce inequality and combat climate change. Joining me now is Alondo Taver, the founder and CEO of NEAR. Alondo, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. You bet. Thanks for inviting me. Appreciate that. All right. So to start off, tell me a little bit about how you came up with the idea for NEAR. Actually, I grew up in a very small town in India. You know, we didn't have a running water. So literally, you know, when I was a boy, they, my family actually asked me to fetch water and then keep the water for like, you know, two, three days for cooking and cleaning. So uh, when I came to the United States, I was pretty fascinated by the infrastructure because you turn on, you know, the water is always there for you. You know, you flush the toilet, it just magically disappears, you know. So it's like, wow, this is amazing. Um, but when you become a you know, water engineer and then when you understand what's actually happening underneath the ground, you see the pain, you know, you know, how difficult it is to run this in a huge infrastructure, you know, normal human being, they don't see what's happening underneath the ground. So the utility directors, they face tremendous challenges to make this infrastructure function. How does NEAR work? NEAR helps water, sewer, and stormwater utilities to make a proactive data-driven decisions um, about the infrastructure. NEAR helps predict uh, infrastructure failures before it happens at 90% accuracy at a fraction of the current cost what the utilities are spending today. So, you know, if you're a mayor or you're public works director, right, in, and uh, you have a bunch of pipes, you know, the hundreds and hundreds of miles of pipe, you have to know which pipe to replace first, you know. So let's say you have a $5 million and, and I want to replace all the pipes that are failing, right? And you can choose, you know, you can rely on your operator who's been telling you, hey, you know, there's a lot of, you know, issues in this and this and this and this pipe. Maybe we should replace all these pipes, right? I mean, obviously you don't have money to replace all the issues, but you have to choose which pipe to replace, right? Among those, you know, 10 issues that you have. Or you can go and talk to engineering companies and then they will you know, assess the risk and then they will do this. But I think what near is, we remove all the subjectivity. You go operator, you know, it's based on his knowledge and you go to engineering consulting companies, he's also doing calculation to assess the risk. But there's a better way that we believe machine learning is gonna help is actually providing all these variables, all these problem areas, and then they will rank them. You know, you should be replacing this pipe first, this pipe first, second. 
What are some of the challenges cities face when trying to maintain this massive water infrastructure? When you travel enough within some schools or some small communities, you really see like, oh my God, you know, they, they are, you know, we have to bring this to this modern 21st century, uh, you know, uh, digital adaptation or digital transformation of the water industry. So there are many challenges. I think near plays one small role in bringing, you know, this invisible infrastructure to make it visible and, uh, and help them to, you know, optimize their operations and save some dollars, you know, short term and long term. How do you think climate change is going to impact the need to manage water infrastructure? It's going to play a huge role, you know, because uh, everything is changing. You know, that's another, you know, you have this climate is changing. You have a population is changing. You are changing the land use for, you know, how the city is developing. That's why this is a very, very hard, you know, uh, infrastructure to manage. Not only, you know, climate affects water infrastructure, but also it affects everything, you know, what we do. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the things that, um, that motivates me every day, you know, so we incorporate climate risk, you know, uh, in our tool as well, uh, you know, from a water infrastructure perspective, like, you know, if you're a city drawing water from Missouri River or some, you know, some location, you have to bake into how the climate is going to affect you in the next 50 years, you know, uh, you know, even temperature, right? Because you're not going to have enough water to meet that population demand. So as this need increases to manage this water infrastructure, what can be some of the consequences if this doesn't happen correctly? We all know what happened to Flint, Michigan, right? That's the tip of the iceberg. If you look at many articles, like who is actually worst affected by this, right? Who is the you know, population worst affected by this is economically disadvantaged communities. If you dig deeper, uh, why is that case is because they don't have any money, they don't have any resources, not only money, but also human resources, right? Somebody has to, you know, tell them where to invest and all those, you know, stuff. And, and so I think the near is kind of the, the game changer, I would say, you know, it, it actually collapses the cost, you know, it, it, it collapses the cost and it brings this level playing field for everybody. Certainly. Alondro, thanks so much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me. I had so much fun talking with you, Emily. Destiny, have you gotten your COVID vaccine yet? Yeah, I got it last March. Have you gotten yours? Absolutely, but the reason I asked is because it relates to my digit for this week, which is 100. I've been seeing some of those headlines. Who are some of the employers who have been requiring vaccinations? To name a few, Google and Facebook announced plans Wednesday to require COVID-19 vaccinations for those who plan to return to the office. President Biden announced Thursday that all federal workers and contractors must be vaccinated or face regular COVID-19 testing. The Department of Veterans Affairs also announced a vaccination requirement for all healthcare workers on Monday. Destiny, what's your digit for this week? My digit is 60%. Dun, dun, dun. Oh gosh, does that mean it's a bad 60%? 60 is the percentage of gross merchandise sales on Amazon from third-party sellers. Third-party sellers are businesses, often small or medium-sized, who get to use the platform to sell their products. So... It's a good thing. That sounds like a woohoo for small businesses, right? 
So last month, there were a handful of bills introduced in the House, all with names like the Ending Platform Monopolies Act, which sounds like a good thing, right? Because if a company is using anti-competitive practices to build a monopoly, that's not good. And that's exactly what regulators and lawmakers argue Amazon and its tech giant brothers have been doing. Can they, though? Will regulators divide up Amazon? It does seem like they've been talking about that for forever, but the answer is still unclear. But this week, Amazon announced the first thing they will do if the company is diced up. The first thing to go. It's the third-party marketplace. It might not be the only cut Amazon would have to make, but this way it still has many other arms it could preserve. And with Amazon's scale and resources, some are concerned that the company will be copying products from third-party sellers and selling them for cheaper. What does Amazon have to say about that? Amazon argues that this has long been a common strategy for retailers. So it sounds like their answer was just, well, duh. Yep. Well, duh, indeed. Lawmakers are still discussing what version of the future is better for consumers and the economy. That's just about it for this week's episode. We just need our closing thought. Here's Rhonda Walker of Creole Meat Soul on the keys to being a successful restaurant owner. You have a plan, a structure, and you surround yourself with people that know more than you do. A great resource. You have to have an amazing team. You can't do it all by yourself. If you build a great team with your vision and stick to your vision, then you can make anything work. That's all for this week's episode. This has been Speaking Startup from Missouri Business Alert. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by me, Destiny Muller, and Emily Hood. Our theme music was produced by Elliot Bowman. You can follow us on social media at Mo Business Alert. that's M-O Business Alert, and subscribe to the MBA newsletter on our website. Have a great week. We'll speak with you next time.